I've been reading some heavy hitters over the last 24 hours because I am somebody who wants confidence and to know what I'm talking about and what I'm believing to be true. But Dallas Willard, C.S. Lewis, Randy Alcorn, there are a host of other thinkers who believe that our pets will be with us on the other side. I can't take you chapter and verse, but remember this. The Bible's an ancient document uh, where animals didn't serve necessarily as pets back in that day. But they do for us, right? They do for us. And um, in Romans chapter 8, Paul's very clear that God is restoring all of his creation. And if you read in there, it's pretty obvious that there is a sense, sense in which the sons and daughters will, re, will be reborn and all of God's creation with them. And so I'm holding on to the truth that my dog, Chase, as painful as it is to say goodbye, he will be waiting for us and playing in the meadows uh, in God's good heaven one day. You don't have to believe that, but I'm believing that to be true. I said to Pia, I don't want to be a fairy tale thinker. I want to be a biblical thinker, but I think there's enough breadcrumbs for me there uh, to have enough confidence. And uh, one writer said it best. He said, whatever gives pure joy to believers this side of heaven, there will be more of it on the other side. Chase gave me pure joy. I'm expecting more of it on the other side. Um, God is working in the world. Uh, I got a text message or a DM on LinkedIn this morning from a gentleman I was working with about a decade ago at King Street. I just wondered what happened to him. He sent me a DM and said, Pastor Dave, I was in church last Sunday. We didn't get a chance to connect. He said, I've relocated. I've retired. I'm living in another part of the province. But he said, I've been baptized. I've renewed my faith. God is working in my life. Out of sight, sometimes perhaps out of mind. God is working in the world, and he's transforming people's lives, and it's a wonderful thing to be a part of it. Last night, we had a movie. Uh, this was the other part. Um, is it okay to be a little bit mystical on occasion with our faith? Can you give me permission to be a little bit mystical? Where's this going today, right? Don't feel unsafe. We're going to beautiful places, okay? Uh, about eight weeks ago or so, we decided to have a community-related event where we would throw, up, throw out a drive-in movie, um, and the title of the movie was called A Dog's Way Home. My dog died on the very same day that we were celebrating A Dog's Way Home, and I was frustrated, crying, just in a tough place. I felt like God said to me, David, there are breadcrumbs all over scripture, but I put that movie in your heart to remind you on this day that your dog is home. And uh, you might say I'm a crackpot, you might say I'm crazy. Uh, I, I want to be mystical every now and then because I think God speaks to us, and I think he speaks to us in ways, and this is what I said to my wife this morning, breadcrumbs is the theme. God doesn't always come out and say, hey, here I am, here's what I'm doing. Doesn't always do that. In fact, very rarely does he. He'll give you enough breadcrumbs for the people who want bread, and they will find the one whose hand hands out the breadcrumbs. Those were breadcrumbs for me. And I went for a walk this morning, and I asked Jesus to meet me on my walk. And he met me on my walk in a conversation with another man who was walking a dog that resembled my own with a little girl beside him. God is up to stuff. It doesn't mean life's easy. Life's not easy for me and my family right now. And my daughter's sitting beside me today. And my other daughter and Craig are serving, I believe, in the, in the other part of the building with the kids. But pray for us. And thank you for understanding our pain. Thank you for lending me grace today. I know that emotion can make people feel uncomfortable. But here I am. 
Um, I'm, I'm trying to be the real deal here because this is how I've led over the years. Okay. Uh, if you're new to us, we would love to get a chance to meet you. Um, Sunday, October 30th, Newcomer's Breakfast. Uh, I don't always get a chance to meet new people as quickly as I'd like. Uh, our pastoral team would love the chance to meet you. You can go online, www.kingstreet.org, and you can um, reserve your seat for Continental Breakfast. Uh, be very informal. And uh, again, that's at 9.15 in the morning on Sunday, October the 30th. Um, thank you for cutting me some grace today because I feel like I'm in a different zone right now. Um, today, we are starting a new series of scripture talks called On Mission. And over the next four weeks, you're going to learn a little bit more about four missional initiatives that we are stepping into, leaning into as a church family. And I hope you'll come every week. And if by chance you can't make it, that you'll listen to the podcast or track with us on our YouTube channel. But um, we're in a post-pandemic world, and we're asking Jesus to give us more clarity about what the future should look like here at King Street Community Church. Other churches are doing all sorts of wonderful things, and we'll always celebrate what they're doing. But what is it that God wants us to do here at King Street? So you'll hear some more about that over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm personally grateful for Chris Vache, who has been a big help to our staff team, to me personally. He's been meeting with us over the last number of months and helping us clarify, rediscover, refocusing our vision, and uh, also helping us gain more understanding of one another with our leadership voice on our staff team. It's been a wonderful experience. Uh, but I met with Chris a number of months ago in my office, and he asked me a question. It was very, at the very beginning of our rediscovery, rediscovery of our vision process. And he said to me, when was the last time you took a faith-filled risk? And uh, again, remember, we're just kind of nearing the end of the pandemic, and he asked me this question, and over the last previous two years, it was all about survival, right? We were just kind of bunkering down and making sure we were doing the, the next right thing because everything was changing. It was a good, timely question for me. When was the last time you took a faith-filled risk? And I remember a time when we did take a faith-filled risk together as a church family, and we built this space. Do you remember that, those of you who were here? Back in 2015 or so, I think we moved into this new space, and when we started talking about it, 2010 or so, we started casting some vision for it and kind of planting some seeds and talking about raising money. It was kind of like, why did we need to do this? Well, listen, before COVID hit, this room was getting pretty full, and we were talking about a second gathering, and uh, I'm, I'm believing and trusting, and you're going to hear some more about it, that the best days of the church and the best days of this church are not behind us, but they're in front of us. Every biblically functioning faith community ought to lean into that. And that's not just nice things to say. As we move closer to the end, the best is still yet to come for all of us in our individual lives, our families, and as church communities. So we want to be well positioned so that when whatever God chooses to do in these latter days, that we will be well positioned. As we heard earlier, Pastor Ken, and the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. I want to be a part of a church that is ready and healthy for when God says, I want to entrust you with more people to care for and love. And so that's what we're going to explore over the next, uh, next few weeks. And maybe it's time again for another faith-filled risk. Isn't that the purpose of the Christian life is to go on an adventure with God and to follow wherever he leads and discover more and more of his goodness and his power and his presence we don't want to just lock in and do business as usual, do we? The day that we're living in right now, we need a plethora of Christian churches in the Western world that are on mission, that are doing all the right things, that are refreshing the community, not dying on the wrong hills, but being well positioned to be crystal clear about the gospel of grace. And I am doing some outside counseling 
Over the last six weeks or so, I've been doing this practicum program because I'm working towards the fulfillment of, a, of an academic program I've been working on, and I've been meeting with people in our community who would not identify as Jesus-following people. Can I tell you that there's a lot of pain in our world? There is a lot of brokenness in our world. There's a lot of pain, and people need communities like this where they can be put back together again by the Spirit with the help of his people, where we can shine brightly in the world in all the ways that are helpful, that are helpful in society. And so uh, I am committed as ever to being a part of seeing this church remain and become increasingly healthy. And so um, recovering our vision is really, really important. We need more and more clarity and so we're going to hopefully help you with that over the next number of weeks. This is our passage to ponder. We're going to spend some time with Nehemiah. If you're new to the Bible, it's an Older Testament passage. Uh, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. We'll take a look at chapter 1 in just a moment. But Nehemiah felt called by God to be an important catalytic leader to help rebuild the burned and broken down walls and gates of Jerusalem. The people of God had been in captivity, and all was not well in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah couldn't just go on with his day-to-day -day life, insulate himself with creature comforts. He was moved upon by God himself to be a part of the solution. There was a problem in Jerusalem that he was bothered by. And so in chapter 6, one of our passages to ponder, I've got two of them, one from Proverbs and one from uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. There were two men specifically who were giving Nehemiah a lot of grief. And they were trying to distract him from his mission. And they were inviting him to come down. And Nehemiah says these powerful words in chapter 6, beginning at the second part of verse 2. He says, but I realized they were plotting to harm me. These are the ones who were opposing the work of God. I realized they were trying to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. I'm too focused doing something that God's called me to do. I'm not going to get distracted with this and with that. I'm going to stay faithfully at my post, rebuilding the walls and gates of the great city of Jerusalem. He said, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. And then we'll go quickly over to Proverbs chapter 29 in the King James Version. Verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no input from the word of God, in another translation, people throw off restraint. And so we need to have crystal clarity around vision. And if not, we start wilting on the vine, so to speak. So we need to be able to be clear about what our purpose is in the Durham region and beyond. And so I hope being here among us, and I know there's a host of different uh, places we can come from, some of us have been on this faith journey for a really long time. Others of us are just getting started. Some of us are in a deep place in our lives and we can't see the forest for the trees. I understand. But as we hear the whisper, the whispering invitation of the Spirit to join him on mission in the world, I hope you will increasingly give yourself through talents, time, and treasure so that we together can be better than if we were just running in all sorts of different directions. So Nehemiah is re rebuilding the broken down walls of Jerusalem. He faces opposition. Remember this. Anytime you and I set out to do something that God calls us to do, there will be some who oppose us. There'll be some who will tell us we're wasting our time. They will actually be antagonistic toward what we're believing God is calling us and commissioning, commissioning us to do. But remember the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church 
and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the promise of Jesus. I will build my church. He's not talking about an organization, though it includes it. He's talking about a community of sons and daughters, believers, followers, co-laborers in his kingdom who are spreading love and joy and peace and grace and inviting other people into this wonderful, expanding family, right? When the church is working well, we are honoring God, we are loving each other, and we are outward-facing, saying, who does God want to add to this community? The signs of a church that's losing its way is when we have lost our capacity to be outward-facing. And so Jesus says, I am building my church. There are disenfranchised sons and daughters all over the Durham region who have lost hope and have lost their way, and we need to be an open circle for them. So our text this morning, Nehemiah chapter 1, um, Nehemiah writes, we're going to go through the whole chapter, and then we're going to pick up chapter 2. So all the words, if you don't have a copy of the Bible on your phone or in your hand, uh, this screen, all the words will be behind me. Um, here's Nehemiah writes, the opening verses of Nehemiah chapter 1. In late autumn, kind of the time of year that we're in now, in the month of Kislev, which was like November, December, um, that is the time of year on the biblical calendar when Noah experienced the covenantal promise of the rainbow and said, I will never destroy the earth like this again. After he had brought all the animals and Noah into safety, it was that time of the year. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I love this about Nehemiah. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. He didn't just hear it as information and move on. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you were exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. I love Nehemiah. He had a passion for repairing and restoring that which God loves. And so I've got four thoughts for you, and I'll move through them reasonably quickly, and I'm going to share a narrative vision with you about our church, the best we can do as a leadership team to kind of paint a picture of where we believe God is leading us. It should be somewhat aspirational, and it should also somewhat reflect uh, the DNA of our own hearts as we've been gathering together over the years. So here's our first thought for consideration this morning. A God-sized vision requires caring deeply about something that God cares about. About what God cares about. 
It's easy for us to go through the motions in life and year after year, quarter after quarter, week after week, day after day, right? We begin to build a life. We get into the routines of either survival mode or just acquiring more possessions or just kind of surviving the, the, the stress of the day we're living in. We need to have a God-sized, compelling vision that is rooted in his heart, that grabs a hold of our heart and won't let us go. If we could care about the things that God cares about, you would find, we would find, even our lives and the ministries here at King Street, I believe they would exponentially grow because God would be present and he would be pleased in all that's happening. Great leaders care deeply about a cause that's far greater than their need for safety and security. This is why Chris's question when he says, when was the last time you took a faith-filled risk? It resonated with me because it had been a little while. Great leaders care deeply about a cause that's far greater than their need for safety and security. And when I think of Moses, I think of someone who cared deeply about what God cares about. If you remember the story of Moses and the Exodus, and he sees his fellow Hebrew people being mistreated by the Egyptians. And one day he is overcome with passion and zeal, and he takes matters into his own hands, and he kills an Egyptian soldier, and he buries him in the sand. He was passionate about what God was passionate about because mistreatment of people bothers God. Moses went about it the wrong way. He shared God's heart, but he mismanaged his hands. And a number of years later, God would come to uh, Moses and he would say this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've seen it too, Moses. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry, I underline this in my notes, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. The cries of people reach the ears and the heart of God. And now God himself says to Moses, I've seen what you've seen, I've heard what you've heard, and I'm ready to act, and I'm ready to act with you. So now he says to Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, again, shared God's heart. He just mismanaged his hands. I think of David, the shepherd boy leader, who was really bothered by the fact that the Philistine giant was bringing reproach to the people of Israel and most importantly, calling into question the renown of the God of Israel. And so this young boy who has nothing but five smooth stones and a slingshot goes out to the front lines to take on Goliath. When was the last time you ran to the front lines? When was the last time you were so bothered by somebody who was doing something so recklessly and harming others and maybe even the renown of your God was called into question that it enlisted you, that he enlisted you to the front lines. I love how Andy Stanley talks about vision. He says, vision is this. It's a clear mental picture of what could be, fueled by the conviction that it should be. What could happen and what should happen. Broken down walls and burned cities should bother us. What happens in the Ukraine should bother us to act in some way. What happens in the Durham region where we see trafficking happening should bother us in some way. When we see the under-resourced and the unsheltered in Oshawa, that should bother us in some way. When we see things that are not yet conforming to the rule and the reign of Jesus and the kingdom of God is not being fully pronounced in that part of our city or in that neighborhood, 
that should bother us. And I know we can't be bothered by everything, but we should be bothered by something. My daughter got married. I mentioned this to you a couple weekends ago. I've had a boatload of change in my life right now, and this is why I'm feeling all over the place. Uh, but God is faithful, and he's present, and he's helping, and he's working. And I just know that to be the case, so I trust him. But my daughter got married in a beautiful place, um, Millbrook Cathedral. If you've ever been to Millbrook, you probably can't miss it. It's right kind of on the strip, and there's not a lot there. But the Millbrook Cathedral has these beautiful stained glass windows. You go upstairs, and I took pictures of them. And uh, they tell a story, the gospel story. In fact, when I was doing my, I forget what they call it, but the first moment I saw my daughter in her wedding dress, um, the photographers there and stuff, and I was standing at the altar area of the church, and I was looking up at the stained glass window before I turned around to see my beautiful daughter. And I saw this picture of Jesus holding a lantern, and he's standing at the door, uh, a picture of Revelation, where he stands at the church and says, I stand at the door and knock. I'll come in and eat with him and them with me um, if we'll open the door. But here's what bothered me. That's no longer a local church. It's a wedding venue. This beautiful space at the outside, I don't know how old the building is. It's got to be over 100 years old. It's got beautiful, it's, it's, when I say transcendent, it's transcendent. It in, inspires worship. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you step into that wedding venue with the stained glass windows and you sense God's presence. But it's not a local church. And I, I don't know where they lost the plot, but somewhere along the way, a group of people who were meeting in Millbrook for worship and for the ministry of the word of God, they lost their way. The, the, the vision got foggy. The conflict became too intense. Uh, the storyline was lost for another narrative. And now there's no congregation meeting there. It's privately owned, and it's a wedding venue. I was talking to Dr. Peter Newman and Rich Janes, uh, president of our Bible school, academic dean at Masters. And I was just saying, this really bothers me because I wish this beautiful wedding venue would be hosted by a local church, that there'd be a congregation meeting there for worship and for service and for mission. There are more and more churches closing down. That bothers me. I hope you would expect that to bother me. As a church leader, I care deeply about the church in Canada. Do you care deeply about the church in Canada? We are mandated, stewarded with a precious, precious commodity. And no other movement or organization has been stewarded this gift. It is the gift of the gospel of grace. It is the message that Jesus is king. That God is building a family and everybody's invited to be a part of it. They're not hearing the message in our public school system. They're not hearing the message over the media airwaves. We are responsible as a biblical community to steward that message. To receive it and own it and let it, to tran let it transform our lives. And then let it just kind of emit from us like a virus into the world around us, sometimes through words, often with, with deeds and actions, but that's our calling. We're not building an organization. Jesus is building his church. The kingdom of God is advancing, and we want to be a part of that, and God has assigned us or attached us to a local expression called King Street Community Church. How does the kingdom of God advance here and reach more and more people?
this is what I want to see happen in the late innings of my ministry. I am in the late innings of my ministry. I'll be 54 years old in April, just a young guy, green around the ears, right? Finding my way in leadership and life. Well, sort of. I've got three decades under my belt. I want to go out. I, number one, I want to finish well. And number two, I want to go out with, uh, not for my sake, but for the kingdom of God's sake and for the future of this church, because I will not always be here. And some of you are saying, finally. <laughs> Woo! That's good news. I will not always be here. I want to see this church be well positioned for the future. A church down the street, we share the same road, um, King Street East in Oshawa, Trinity Pentecostal Church. They're celebrating 100 years of, of witness this month in October. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. That church was, if I understand the story, was known as Simcoe Street Church at one point. And Simcoe Street Church actually was responsible for many of the Pentecostal churches, including this one. A hundred years ago. At some point along the way, we're 75 years plus now as a church community. At some point along the way, there were some leaders, there was a congregation who said, we can't just do this. We've got to do more. There's more people moving to Oshawa, more people moving to the Durham region. Let's start another expression. Let's raise up leaders. There's people with gifts. We've got to send them to places. And a Sunday school outreach in College Hill in 1946 was born. And that's what we know as King Street Community Church today. What will it look like for us 100 years from now if Jesus doesn't come back and wrap things up? We are in the middle, so to speak, 76 years young as a church community. And I don't know what the next chapters look like when it comes to length of time that God will permit before he consummates the kingdom and makes all things new. But our job is to be faithful with where we find ourselves. We're in the land between right now. We're not starting it. We might not be here to see it end. But how are we faithful in helping this local expression be all that God wanted it to be so that other generations can come and hear the gospel of Jesus and have their lives transformed? So we are invited to be the kinds of people who are acquiring a God-sized vision and we care deeply about something that God cares about. Secondly, a God-sized vision requires consulting God before acting. Um, prayer and promptings are always part of transforming movements. We are not just a social movement. We're not the Kiwanis Club. Uh, we're not the Boys and Girls Club. Thank God for the good work that they do in the world. This is a church. This is a spirit-filled community. Uh, what is happening here has divine, um, divine attributes, divine characteristics, and is held together by the Spirit of God. What brings us together is not just something we have in common. The Spirit of Jesus that lives in you lives in me, and it's like a homing device that brings us to each other. We cannot help ourselves from gathering. This is what Christians do. Uh, when I've been in other parts of the world and I've been separated by language, I'm in a community and I meet people, and it's like, we belong together. We're family. We might be even separated by our, our, our first language, but we are family. The same spirit that dwells in them dwells in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul said, lives in us, raising us up to new life to be all that we were supposed to be. And so uh, prayer is our way of acknowledging to God and to ourselves and to one another that we need him. Prayer, and it says not to shame you, because I am in the same boat with you. Prayer is work, and sometimes it's neglected work. 
But for the kingdom of God to advance, it will never advance without God's working in our lives. We need the spirit of Jesus working strongly in us. And prayer and promptings are always a part of transforming movements. What characterized the people of God from the neighboring nations was that they were formed by the ways of God at Mount Sinai when Moses gave them the law. And they were characterized by the presence of God. I love the way Moses is described. He's described in Exodus 33 as someone who was a friend of God. He spoke with God as a friend would speak to a friend. And Moses didn't want to go on mission in Exodus 33 without God being with him. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me as the leader and your people unless you go with us? What else? I love this about Moses. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I love hearing stories when people come to King Street and I hear them often and they don't have church backgrounds. Maybe sometimes they do and they come into our gathering and they say there's something unique and special about being here. And it's not just King Street. It's about when the people of God gather for worship. I know what they're describing. It's the presence of God. It's the tangible presence of God. I hope you experience him often, whether it's a walk in the woods or whether it's gathering with God's people like this. It is the presence of God that is to be characteristic of who we are. We are supposed to be people who exhale his spirit into the world that needs life, needs life and healing. I find myself bringing Christian principles and sometimes to people who are open. Um, talking about people who had a church background and a Christian background and have got away from it. I was speaking to a, an individual recently who has really complicated their lives far from the church but feels this calling back to the church. And they said to me, I don't know if you know this story. Do you know the story about the prodigal son? Because they didn't know I was a pastor. I said, I think I'm familiar with that one. Yeah. I'm familiar with that one. He said, I love that story. It's my favorite story. I said, you know what? Do you want to read that with me? I said, I'd love to read it. I'll get a copy of it. Why don't we read it together? Met with him the next week. Read the story of the prodigal son. He wept as we read this story together. And at the end of it, I said, Where's home for you? Where's home for you? If you've been around King a little while, you know we talk about family. I'm big on family, right? Do you know that about me? I would lay my life down for my kids, for my wife. I love my family, my parents, my extended family. I just, I've been blessed with a wonderful family. I just think family is awesome. When it's working well, it's, there's nothing like it. And when Paul uses metaphors, he talks about us being brothers and sisters, that we are supposed to be the family of God, right? Caring deeply for each other. Families, when they're well, they're always, they're always open. There's always a sense of welcome that's there. My friend that I had met had lost his way, didn't know where home was anymore. Church can be home for people, characterized by the presence of God. Here's the best metaphor I can give for you as we talk about missional initiatives in the, in the days to come. Let's think about our church. Let's think about our lives. Let's think about our families like this. We're like um, a sailboat, a sailing vessel, and we're in harbor. Here's our job, and there's a lot of principles behind this. Our job is to hoist the sails. Let's get the masts up, hoist the sails, and then let's put our hand on the rudder, 
because we've got something in mind of what we believe we ought to direct ourselves towards. And then here's the, the presence and promptings of God. Invite the stronger, wiser, caring hand of God to be placed over ours on the rudder and wait for the wind. And when the wind comes and the sails are up and the rudder is in the right hands, we will be headed somewhere beautiful. There'll be a destiny about where we're headed. And we'll be, we'll be willing to sacrifice and give and serve because we all know where we're headed. God is steering us and he is empowering us and we're going on the adventure of a lifetime. That's what the church is supposed to be. So I hope you'll join me. Bit of work involved in hoisting the sails. And we have to pray into what we're supposed to do when it comes our hand to the rudder. But we'll trust that sometimes God will put his over ours and maybe nudge us a little more this way, 30 degrees this way, 30 degrees that way. He knows what's out in front of us. And he can guide us, not just to a safe harbor, but on mission to where he wants to take us. All right, number three, a God-sized vision requires a willingness to sacrifice and serve like he does. Nehemiah doesn't play it safe. He took a risk. In the month of Nisan, chapter two, which is March or April in our calendar year, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before because you wouldn't go into the king's presence and be sad. The king didn't want that. There would be great danger to go in with a sad face. Um, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. I like that. He's just under his breath. He just prays. Praise to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, he went for it. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time and went. Nehemiah took a big risk. He made an ask. It could have cost him his life. He could have got a no, or worse than that, he could have lost his head. But Nehemiah went for it. I love this about Nehemiah, and it's a principle we can live by. Giving back and paying forward are strong currencies in the kingdom of God. There are people who helped us get to where we are today. What does it look like for us to honor their effort and their work? And what does it look like for us to pay it forward with future generations who are going to come behind us? May they find us to be faithful. Previous generations bought properties here over the decades. Previous generations paid for them, made space for us for when another leadership team and another congregation would come along, they would build on it and expand their reach, and here we are today. What is our next invitation from the Spirit to take a risk again? Finally, number four, here it is. A God-sized vision requires getting involved personally, and I'll move quickly through this. Investment of time, talent, and treasure makes the vision possible. One person cannot do it alone. The paid professionals cannot do it alone. It is a community effort. It's something God calls us to do together. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about these four missional initiatives. Um, this is what I believe to be true. And I can't guarantee it with certainty. Leaders don't guarantee things. Leaders call people to a meaningful sacrifice, meaningful participation, something that's principled, that resonates in the hearts of the people, that has an impact on the world around us. This is what we believe. We don't know when God will do it. We don't know how he'll do it necessarily, but we're going to set ourselves toward it. We're going to put our hand on the rudder, 
And we're going to ask and invite formally for him to put his hand over ours, to lead us and guide us, and to blow the wind on those sails, and to take us where he wants to take us. But by 2027, here's what we're asking God for. We want to be a church because, here's why, people matter to God. Not because numbers matter. Numbers don't matter. They only represent people. So every number is a person and a family, a person who's lost their way, somebody who's struggling. My mom came to saving faith in Jesus through the witness of her neighbor, John and Yvonne Thompson. And John Thompson is right there to my left. What an honor to have him part of my ch our church family. It was right in the city in Oshawa. His wife, Yvonne, back in the 1970s, witnessed to my mother who came to saving faith in Jesus, whom my dad came to saving faith in Jesus, started taking this young six, seven-year-old to Sunday school at Agent Court Pentecostal Church. The gospel infected our family. We were added to the church. We were other numbers being added to the kingdom of God. They're people with stories. So we're believing and trusting God. By 2027, he will add to the church there will be 1,200 people who gather at King Street Community Church in multiple locations, online and in person, and God will guide us to the geographical locations of his choosing. And you might be sitting here saying, there's lots of seats here. There are lots of seats here. You don't, leaders don't always cast vision for what's coming next because there's a problem. They anticipate the problem, and the vision actually helps create the problem. Would you be okay if we jammed this place with more people who are finding their way home in the kingdom of God? 2027, three locations, one online, one here, and one somewhere else in the Durham region. We are multi-ethnic, intergenerational. We are serving within our limitations and using our gifts. We are gathering in small group communities. We want 75% of our church family, which will be 90 groups, gathering for purposes of service. If you work in the cafe, you're a small group community. If you're huddling up serving the kids, you're a small group community. You might be uh, part of Alpha, small group community. You might be part of Authentic Living, small group community. It might be a spiritual growth group, a special interest group. There might be a group of people who want to ride their bikes. I want to start a small group next spring for people who want to go for a pedal bike ride and just meet at the church and we'll go lots of places together. That would be a group. We're looking for communities to connect out of service, spiritual growth, seeking God together, support, Divorce care, grief share, you name it share, we would like to invite people to be a part of. And so that means we need more leaders and people to use their gifts, and that requires sacrifice and time and energy and giving financially. So I'm just whetting your appetite for the next four weeks that we're going to talk about these missional initiatives. And so the best I can do, there are different kinds of churches and different kinds of leaders who have different kinds of ways of expressing the mission and the vision that they believe God has called them to, we have chosen, instead of having a statement, our mission is love God, love people, serve the world. Would you say that with me? Love God, love people, serve the world. How can you argue with that? Love God, love people, serve the world. That's what Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the vision. It's a narrative vision. So there's a, a few paragraphs I'm going to read for you here, and it's going to sound aspirational. It is supposed to. It is supposed to aspire, inspire us to chase something. And tell me if at the end of this you say, I want to be a part of a church like that, then you're in the right place. Okay? 
We choose to see a church known as King Street Community Church that is deeply devoted to loving Jesus and carrying out his mission in the world. A church that understands that we serve a God who is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we are called to be a community who serves our community, the Durham region. We choose to see a church that makes room for diversity and celebrates our common faith. A place where we can belong first and believe second. And where everyone is given permission to be themselves. We choose to see a church that is a grace place where all of us have confidence to invite friends and family who may be at the edges of faith. We choose to see a church that is not afraid of honest questions and doubts, one that is okay with people not having all the answers, where people can express how they feel and find a safe place to land. We choose to see a church that reaches both across the fence and around the world, one that recognizes that the mission of Jesus is both local and global. We choose to see a church that gathers in small group communities to know and be known, love and be loved, serve and be served, celebrate and be celebrated, where stories are told, lives are nurtured, friendships are forged, and prayers are offered. We choose to see a church that takes spirit-prompted risks, one that understands that walking on the water requires getting out of the boat, one that values safety and security for our children, but is willing to take a risk for generations still to come. We choose to see a church that makes efforts to be relevant with its methods, but has a deep commitment to the timeless story of God found in Scripture. New ways will be considered if they will help others find Christ. Old ways will be preserved if they assist others in knowing him. Excellence will be pursued and creativity encouraged. We choose to see a church that will understand people and meet their real needs, not their imagined ones. People who are looking for meaning will find it and feel like they have finally come home when they gather with us. We choose to see a church that relates to culture in a redemptive way, recognizing our role as salt and light, making a real life difference in the world. A church that will adopt a come and see and go and tell approach to spreading the gospel of grace. One that celebrates baptism as the most exciting aspect of church life. We choose to see a church that has a reputation for caring for people and be known for offering help and hope for people who face divorce, death, and other forms of distress. And I love this. This is the last paragraph. We choose to see and prayerfully work towards building a church where Jesus would attend, one that would make him feel invited, accepted, and at the center of absolutely everything. That's the vision of the church. If that resonates with you, with you would you say an amen to that? It doesn't give us five easy steps to accomplish that. It is something that requires the Holy Spirit nudging, prompting, empowering, inviting, doing all the things that only he can do, shaping and forming Jesus in us as a community, acting like a family who have an open circle with another chair at the table for others to come and join us. And so I hope over the next four weeks you'll come and you'll hear about these four initiatives because we're going to invite you into it. And uh, like I said earlier, we only get so many days under the sun. We only get so many days to be the parent of our child before we send them out the door, as I have done, for one. We only get so many days with the ones we love, including our pets. We only get so many days in the privilege of leadership and with the people beside us. Let's make the most of the moment, and let's be fruitful with our lives so one day, at the end of it all, we stand before God and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because we have been 
fruitful. We have been fruitful with our lives. And so I am pledging myself the best I can to lead and serve and to invite you to come with us as we go on this awesome adventure together. And let's have a boatload of fun doing it. Uh, I love you dearly. I said last week about 40 reasons why I'm thankful for you. Uh, can I thank you one more time for giving me permission to be myself today and to share with you the uh, parts of my life that have been painful? And you always receive me with grace, and I, uh, I thank you for that. I never feel like I have to pretend to be any more spiritual than I am up here. Um, I hope I'm a spiritual guy, but I don't pretend to be any more spiritual than I am because I know you accept me as I am. This is a church for people, real people, who have a real story, who have real questions, who want to interact with a real God in real time, in real life. We don't want this to be, and some of you, I've told you this before, we don't want to create this moment here that is so somewhat artificial that when people leave here, it's a letdown, and they have to sort of survive the next six and a half days until they can get back again and get their lift. We want it to lift. We want you to feel encouraged, life-giving, but we want this to be so real and honest that it's just part of your life. And you leave here and you go and you say, yeah, I, I got something to live by. I've got some handles to hang on to to go live the kind of life that would please the Lord. So that is going to continue. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit, I'm on the lookout for him these days, by the way, in a new and fresh way. He is working in the world. And I, did I say this earlier? I think I did. The breadcrumbs. He is scattering breadcrumbs for those who are seeking. If you're not seeking, you're not going to find them. You got to be looking for the breadcrumbs. And I don't know what God's doing in my life lately, but I feel like he's saying to me, are you looking for the breadcrumbs? And I'm seeing them. I'm seeing them. He's working in the world in really, really cool ways.